Hello. Welcome to Discovering Jazz. My name's Larry Sademan. My goal is for us to discover jazz old and new together by listening to a wide array of selections and exploring different jazz styles and topics related to jazz. We'll learn more about what it is, what it isn't, how it's developed, and what we can listen for to enhance our experience. This program is on Trent Radio, 92.7 on your dial, and Peterborough Independent Podcasters. For the next 60 minutes, Discovering Jazz. Part 2 of a jazz fan's format of recordings. Specifically, recordings that help form the tastes of a well-known Peterborough jazz musician and concert and ensemble organizer, Craig Patterson. Last week we played Mercy, Mercy, Mercy by Cannonball Adderley, the 1967 record that started it all for Craig. Then he chose a Pharoah Saunders album from 1970, followed by Miles Davis's Bitches Brew. Then the first Mahavishnu Orchestra album, and we added one Canadian influence, saxophonist P.J. Perry. Starting off today, more Miles Davis, but an album called Miles Smiles, and specifically one song from that album. Footprints. Footprints. Miles Davis footprints. footprints. Um, again, it's Miles, right? So I guess, it, I mean, this is, it predates uh, Bitches Brew by a few years. But, and I probably came to it later too. I wasn't probably listening to that band. This is the famous second quintet band, you know, with Wayne Shorter on Card and Herbie and Tony Williams. Um, and primarily that album I like because of their version of Footprints. It's, Miles' solo is brilliant on it. I think he just plays, I don't know, he plays like eight or nine choruses, maybe more, um, and plays a really, 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 I don't know, I never transcribed it or anything, but I just love his trumpet solo and Tony Williams drumming and what Tony and Ron Carter do during the uh, sort of the, the bridge, call it that, the bridge section of the tune always knocks me out, right? Because it's in six. The tune's in six, but they play that middle part in, well, that's not clear. Four, perhaps? Six, perhaps? Both? There's sort of things happen during those, whatever it is, four, is there four bars to do? Yeah, maybe two or four bars. Um, Wayne Shorter's solo is cool. The ending is cool as they fade it out. Tony's, Tony Williams is doing incredible drumming. But Footprints is a Wayne Shorter tune. And if you compare... Wayne's version, which I think re- was recorded, you know, several months before the Miles version, Com- very different, very different kind of sound. And I think, I mean, I like Miles's version better. Uh, and what's interesting with this album is various times there are mistakes on it that they leave, right? Even playing the head, the main melody of Footprints, Miles is fluffing notes in various places, uh-huh. right? And you think, what? But they just... That's the album, right? That's what they got. That's what they released. They could have fixed it, but they didn't. I, to this day, I don't know why they didn't fix it. There's probably somebody who knows that. But he's not playing the head completely properly. Well, Interesting. Any any of the times too. So if you if that's if that. that's the tune you play, listen to how they start the tune. It's not it's not right. Hmm. But but it doesn't matter because his solo completely makes up for it.
Footprints from Miles Smiles, 1967 with Miles Davis on trumpet, Wayne Shorter, the composer and tenor saxophonist, 
Herbie Hancock on piano, Ron Carter bass, and Tony Williams on drums. Listening to more of Craig Patterson's formative recordings. Next is one we talked about in a previous couple Discovering Jazz programs on Keith Jarrett, where Jarrett Prescott talked about Keith Jarrett. But let's hear what Craig has to say about the Cone concerts. One of the first solo recordings by a jazz musician probably piano player I mean there's a few things before that but nothing like this in a hall in a European concert hall uh, on the ECM label I think it's the ECM's best selling album ever right that right. Album, yeah right so yes. it's the sold and sold because people who are like new agey to put that in quotation marks whatever that means liked it um and people like George Winston, who is a kind of new agey piano player, does solo piano stuff. And I think, no, no. I mean, whatever George's doing is, is okay, but what Jarrett's doing is, is a whole other thing. Um, and I, so, I mean, I, I love that album when it came out. He started doing some concert tours of that style. And I, again, Vancouver, I saw him play live in Vancouver shortly after this album came out. And they had set up a piano workshop before in the afternoon before the concert it's like every piano player in Vancouver and a whole bunch of other people were there and he came walking in and they were playing you know Chick Korea stuff over the sound system he said turn that off turn that off off it goes and there's a piano sitting there waiting right because in these kind of workshops the musician who's the, the workshop person does something right they play or they teach you something right Derek walked up to the piano closed it said I don't I won't be playing Everybody went, <gasps> he said, yeah, I only have so much music in me, so I don't waste it in situations like this. And we're all going, because it is like a whole, like nobody does that, right? Nobody talks like that. So he talked about how he would often sit and play like one note for a couple of hours, right? Just listening to it and listening to the overtones and the harmonics and people going, wow, okay. And he was, you know, he's into Sufi stuff by that point. I don't know if he still is. And uh, so there's the Islamic influence in the music world again. Uh, and somebody, the guy who had organized the workshop, pushed on him and said, you know, like, oh, yeah, yeah, you know, you should play something for us. Keith said, fine. Opens the piano, plays for like oh, five minutes, plays with some brilliant stuff. Stops, is that what you wanted? Closed the piano and left, right? So, pretty testy guy. Eh? Testy guy, or <laughs> and people think he's arrogant and oh, pick, picky and a bunch of other stuff. And I think, yeah, maybe. I guess I've always loved what he does so I don't I've seen him do what people call rude things like stop in the middle of concerts and ask people to stop coughing and stuff yeah but we're not at a performance we're at a something else I think when Keith Jarrett plays and that's not to elevate him to godness but it's to elevate him to something of a magical talented person who I'm willing to give the benefit of the doubt to. So I saw him play a solo concert like this in Vancouver. And afterwards I was in the in the bathroom with this guy who was standing beside me and he said, he said, I was crying. I was crying. And I said, we all were. Like in the what couple moments during the concert, we everybody in the hall was crying. Because that's what Keith was able to do. Right. Hmm. It was just like um, it was magic. So that album again, that that approach to playing, he's not playing, you know, regular standard bebop. He's not playing Stella by Starlight. He's not doing what he did with the standards trio. He's doing sort of channeled music. That's how he talked about it. It's like the music comes to him through him, and he plays his stuff, and it's completely improvised, and then it's gone. Right. And so the Cole concert and a bunch of other albums capture that. But if you experience it live then you are in that moment with him and it's when it's working and I don't think it always works how can it but when it works it's again mind-blowing stuff again it's one of the best-selling quote-unquote uh-huh. jazz albums on the planet it sort of has always I think helped fund ECM's other weird right. recording projects because there's always money coming in from that and I'm sure it's also right. helped feed Keith and his families. Right, and just like with Bitches Brew, who would have expected it? Yeah, like a soul. And I think the I think the story behind it is that he was sick. He had the flu. He felt really crappy. He didn't really like the piano, and and this album happened. Right, so who knows what that's about? Right, so yeah. Mm-hmm. 
You are listening to part of Keith Jarrett's Colne Concert, one of Craig Patterson's formative recordings. Saxophonist Wayne Shorter has been a huge influence on Craig, and the next two recordings uh, on Craig's list feature him. Unfortunately, I only have time on the program for one of them. I actually know some people who don't like his playing, and uh, but not many. I've always I've always liked his playing. Uh, I don't understand his playing and his music that he's doing now, whatever he is, 80, what is he, 82 or something? He's, he's a very old man now, but still playing with gay abandon, from what I can see, except he's sitting down these days. Uh, but this album I have on the list is Supernova, which is an old Blue Note. Yeah, I think it's a Blue Note album from, again, Post Pitches Brew, for Wayne, pre-Weather Report era, 71, 72. He's playing soprano on it. Again, with... You know, Miroslav Vatus and uh, Chick Corea is playing drums. And Jack Desmet's on it, I think, playing drums. Uh, Tom McLaughlin's playing guitar on it, and it's it's pretty. It's also pretty wild. It's sort of like Mitch's groove. It's not swing. It doesn't swing. 
<clears throat> there's a wonderful version of Jinji, the Hogan tune on it, with this woman who is the bass player's wife, who's Brazilian, I think, so she's singing it in Portuguese. Uh, and she starts crying near the end of it, and then the band comes back and does this thing. It's, it's you know, makes her hair stand on it. And then the band is, and Wayne's playing brilliant soprano solos, and it's a hard album. It's, it's dense. Right. Two guitar players in stereo, two drummers in stereo. It's like a lot going on. <laughs> right. I remember actually when I first got it, I was listening to it at home one day when I was a kid. My mother was there. Uh, and there's this version of Jinji that I was talking about. And it, it starts, this stuff is going on. And my mother said, that's like, that's like walking through the jungle. I thought, well, no, it's exactly. It sounds exactly like birds and monkeys and... Sounds of the jungle, all played on you know guitar and bass and some percussion stuff. And I thought, my God, my mother's, my mother's a genius here. I've gotten that, and it's true. It's like you walk through the jungle. This woman starts singing. It's like she's standing in a clearing. There's a you know six-string nylon guitar playing along with her. She starts crying. The band, and you sort of walk back into the jungle sound. Soubesses o bem que eu te quero, o mundo seria din-din, tudo din-din, lindo din-din. Ai, din-din, se um dia você.
águas desse rio Onde vão Eu não sei E a minha vida inteira That's Jinji, Wayne Shorter from the Supernova album of 1969, featuring Shorter on soprano sax, John McLaughlin and Sonny Sherrock on guitars, Chick Corea on drums and vibes, Miroslav Fitos on bass, and Jack DeJeanette and Erto Marrera on drums and percussion. The vocalist is Maria Booker. The other recording that features Wayne Shorter is the first Weather Report album from 1971, but I'll have to skip it out of time concerns, but I'll try to include it on a future program. We'll move on to a John Coltrane album from 1964. This, this album, this tune, Crescent, is, starts, if I remember correctly, as a ballad. John Coltrane is just playing this very mournful line, and then the band comes in, and he plays it. C or C sharp or something, um, and it's very poignant and very you know emotional, and uh, not you know this the, the the angry John Coltrane whatever that was all about when people said he was must be an angry person because he played this kind of dissonant music and he was like no it's just what he's doing you know uh, this is not like that but this is the famous quartet this is McCoy Tyner and Jimmy Garrison and uh, Alvin Jones and John Coltrane. It's sort of a classic album. Uh, I don't know what other songs are on that album, but that, the Crescent tune, is a very sweet uh, little piece of music.
Thank you. 
John Coltrane. The last album on the list of Craig Patterson's 10 most formative recordings was the Liberation Music Orchestra. Charlie Hayden, bass player, the late, great Charlie Hayden, put this band together in, I don't know, 67, maybe 68. Uh, so Carla Blay on piano and doing arrangements. An incredible mix of people on that band who's in that band. Uh, Dewey Redmond's in that band. I think uh, that Don Cherry's in the band. I mean, that band, that orchestra, the Liberation Orchestra, has gone through three or four iterations over the 30, 40 years. Um, there's various albums, but that's... Yeah, it's still first, going, It's too, still going, yeah. Like, yeah, shit. right? So it's it's doing, you know, politis, political music. Um, there's a tuba player. I mean, this so there are a lot of... Uh, several songs from the uh, Spanish Civil War on this album... Uh, and then on the next couple of albums, there's a ballad of the fall, and so they start playing Sandinistan tunes from the Nicaraguan Revolution. Who knows what's happened with that revolution? <laughs> the Daniel Ortega seems to be a fascist authoritarian, yes. but anyhow, we won't get into that. Uh, so, and Charlie wrote some great tunes. I mean, there's a song called Sandinista, which is a beautiful song. He wrote a song called, which is on this album, a song for Che. Says he got arrested for playing in Portugal in 1966 or so, 67. He was playing with Ornette Coleman at a concert, and they played it, and they dedicated it to the uh, popular revolution in the uh, Portuguese colonies. And after the show, Charlie was arrested and thrown in jail. <laughs> so par- Charlie Hayden always had this kind of political piece, which which I liked. And this band again is a really free-rolling, like, chaotic... I mean, the arrangements are brilliant. Carla Blay's writing is really smart. And they're just playing this, again, powerful, visceral uh, music. Sort of raucous and sort of almost like Dixieland, but crazier, right? I mean, that collective, like, eight people improvising at the same time, you know, can really a little crazy making but it is what Dixieland was all about too so it's got these roots back to the beginning of this music so I'm curious for you Craig whether that album had an influence on your own political beliefs or whether your own political beliefs was what drew you to that record uh, I think the latter I think you know I had a kind of whatever view of the world that was political in that way sort of a left leaning to use that phrase uh, so when I saw that Charlie Hayden was doing this at a band called the Liberation Orchestra and was playing these this music, I thought, okay, I gotta check this. Here is the introduction to that first Liberation Music Orchestra album, followed by their rendition of Bertolt Brecht's Song of the United Front. <laughs> Thank you. 
finish off this program. Similar to what we did last week, I asked Craig to talk about any Canadian musicians who influenced him. He had earlier spoken of his admiration for Phil Dwyer, so I thought that some of his music would be so great to finish, finish off talk with. talk a little bit about Phil Dwyer. He later okay. was an influence for you. Right? Well, yeah, I, um, I have a couple of his albums. He's a really, really good piano player, but he's a really, really, really good saxophone player. And he's... We've uh, the jazz Quartha Jazz Society brought Phil up here a few times with different combinations. He was up here with, uh, I think Kenny Wheeler at some point uh, on his own. He did a couple things with Don Thompson's groups. He's now a lawyer. He went off to law school a few years ago, trained to be a lawyer. So I don't know how much playing he's doing, but if you look at him on on YouTube, he's he's still playing, and you know you'll see him a little footage of him at the Rex in Toronto playing his ass off. I mean just. On tenor, just playing really good stuff. I think he lives on the West Coast now. He's from Nanaimo, I think, originally. Uh, so I don't know if he's there doing his law thing or not. And he has his old jazz camp or something, or used to. Here is the Phil Dwyer and Dave Young quintet from a 1993 album called Fables and Dreams. This rather abstract version of All of Me features Phil Dwyer on piano, Dave Young bass, Rob Pilch doing some lovely guitar work, and Mikael Lambert on drums. This is Discovering Jazz on Trent Radio and Peterborough Independent Podcasters. Thanks to Craig Patterson for his enlightening comments and entertaining stories. This is Larry Sademan saying bye for now.
Thank you.